This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Did you hear the one about the police officer charged with stealing $36 of goods from the social club? What the fuck happened here? That sounds like a setup to like a joke, but that's a real headline. <laughs> Which I think, <laughs> this is one of these gems that I think has not gone very far. But I'm going to read you this story because when I saw the headline and I was like, that's ridiculous. Also, I'm busy. I can't be bothered reading this. And then shout out to my comrade, John, who sent it to me again and was like, Emerald, read the story. It is so <laughs> funny. So I'm going to read you this story as well. So that's the headline. Police officer charged with stealing $36 of goods from social club. Queensland's police union chief has slammed an officer. No, sorry. They haven't slammed the officer. They've slammed news an officer who allegedly took $36 of confectionery from his station social club. This is me as a child stealing lollies. Was charged with stealing. <laughs> well, they donuts. You've got to you've got the, to let me they know should, if they were donuts. Oh, I hope it's donuts. We're going to say it's donuts anyway. <laughs> Um, he says it's a, an example of bullying behavior in the workplace and a gross abuse of the court's process. <laughs> um, so the Longreach senior constable was sensationally charged by his colleagues after allegedly they filmed him taking chocolate, ice cream and soft drink <laughs> over a six-week period without ticking a sheet stating what he owed. He didn't tick the sheet, Tom. You don't tick the, the sheet. sheet, you do the crime eat. The, the time. Um, <laughs> police allege the officer did not fill out the sheet for the cashless payment system in which officers ticked oh. off items they took before they were billed at the end of the month. After the so officer, what, what is the social club? Is this the union? The, or? No, no, no. Well, it's like the cop social club. They've just oh, got a okay. social club at their work. Do you? I. That's right. You don't have a real job. There's like a parliament <laughs> social club that you know, sends things. That's like, come hang out with us. And we're like, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, but I guess cops have one. They just, just reminisce with each other like, oh, we really got away with it on that the one. Social- and, God, all these minorities <laughs> exactly. suck, don't they? Yeah, you said it. High five. Left has some chocolate. would love to be a fly on the wall of that bowling night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the officer allegedly began taking items without taking them off and the information was forwarded to a detective last year. So this is like a long operation. Police then set up a covert oh. video camera in the meal room of the station which allegedly captured the officer taking the ice cream, chocolates and soft drink without marking the sheet. The officer allegedly took items on nine occasions in August and September last year. Officer Wiggum rejects all the <laughs> accusations. <laughs> and you get it, like, then you get a bit of a picture of the dynamic between this officer and the social club and they clearly are not friends and he's like uh alienated from the social club which must be very sad for the poor cop maybe he'll quit his job what a shame i mean can i say this is Mm -hmm. remarkable because this is cops actually policing other cops like actually holding each other account and prosecuting them for the crimes that they commit this is extremely rare stuff it's very rare normally cops do quote unquote investigate cops yes um but they say look i think it's okay that you left that aboriginal woman in her cell to die yeah, that's it's fine. fine. It's totally fine. It's not an issue. Um, anyway, no, in this case, it was just too egregious. The ice cream was too nummy. <laughs> um, well, this is it. When, when the crime affects those cops' ability mm. and access to sweetie treats, then, well, we need to bring in the full force of the law. He, the cop had previously allegedly asked the social cop if he could arrange a different form of pay other than the cashless system. Yes. However, this was rejected and an email was sent out to all staff explaining the payment process. <laughs> Dear cops, when you take the donut, you must tick the sheet that says that you took the donut. Uh, the officer allegedly declined to be interviewed by Internal Police Ethical Standards Command because that's a real thing that, like, I guess he could just do. They attempted he mediation. Decline? He was like, he declined. And then through his legal representation, he's got a lawyer for this. Jesus attempted Christ. mediation in November. So they sit down and they're like, <laughs> well, I didn't really want to tick the sheet every time I took. I don't know. Anyway, the sa- this, okay, how about this bit? The station social club took the issue to a vote of members who did not want mediation and wished for the matter to proceed through the courts. The oh. officer was charged in January. The social club, your colleagues, your <laughs> shit cop colleagues get together and they're like, nah, charge him. Fucking lock him up. Lock him up. Uh, lock, lock him up. up. He then gets uh, shivved in the in while he's being held a remand by and uh, while the uh, officers look on. We know what you did. Know. We know what you fucking did, mate. Yeah. 
So anyway, uh, the QPS, is, they have been asked to confirm the allegations and if a warrant was obtained to set up the camera, so they may have, like, who knows if they even got a warrant to set up a secret camera to catch him taking the fucking sweetie treats. Uh, it's before the courts. It's been adjourned until the 28th of March in only, what, a couple of days. So stay tuned, folks. Frank, the Greens have a choice. Make progress or make a point. If they want to make progress, I'm here to make progress. If they want to make a point, they can do that but a point is not progress. Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. <laughs> serious danger to Australia. Who took the cookie from the cookie jar? <laughs> God. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Serious Danger, a podcast about green hey. politics in Australia. This is not an official Greens party podcast at all. I am Tom Vellard. Hello, Emerald Moon. I'm Emerald Moon. There she is. Hi. This is made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week, we are discussing the fact that the planet is burning, the safeguard, showdown, and goddamn stinking transphobic Nazis. God, what a fun Good, show. Really cheery week. Can't wait. <laughs> Shout out and love to our beautiful new patrons. Thank you to Shane, Stefan, Michelle, and Rach for just three bucks a month. You can get bonus Serious Danger podcast. We've put out an episode this week chatting about uh, a recent TGA decision allowing psychiatrists and mental health professionals to prescribe MDMA and magic mushrooms to treat mm-hmm. um, treatment-resistant depression and PTSD with special guest Dr. Stephen Bright. That was a fascinating conversation. I, I really loved this conversation. I think it's a very interesting topic and episode. Plus, we learned what cocaine is used for by doctors and yes. not like an in the practice on patients. Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. Sign up for that. Um, if you got to do that, that's totally fine. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. That really mm-hmm. helps spread the word and gets more danger dogs signed mm-hmm. up. Have you to- seen – I hadn't read the reviews for a little while that I had a scroll recently and, like, yes. I, have you seen that a few of the recent ones are saying that I'm the funny one? just wanted to make sure you've seen them. Mm, no, I haven't seen that. We are recording this before the New South Wales state election. As you'll probably listen to this, you'll probably know the result of that. We assume it's a Greens majority government, mm. but we're recording it before that result. We'll chat about it on next week's show. Predictions, Emerald. This is great. We can do predictions now and be wrong no. as soon as people we'll hear them. straight away wrong. I can't do it. I'm too scared. I'm scared. Do you have a prediction? Greens majority. I truly Done. don't. I truly don't know, hey. All, all the signs uh, suggest a minority government of some description and people are saying that Labor probably has a better path to victory if they have to negotiate. They might have to, I don't know, negotiate, negotiate? with the Greens oh, in some Well, way. we're fucked then. Because <laughs> <laughs> they said they wouldn't do that. Mm. But I guess we will see. Fingers crossed and regardless of the outcome, solidarity and love to everybody yes. who volunteered and campaigned for the New South Wales Greens and for uh, for pushing really good shit, for pushing treaty at the state level. Um, for pushing, actually finishing uh, the fossil fuel industry within the state of New South Wales. Um, renters doing, Actually talking about renters, doing something for renters, thank God, and much more besides. You should be very proud of yourselves and uh, we'll discuss more about the results on next week's show. Everything is catching, yes, everything is catching on the fire. Have you read the latest synthesis report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change? Have you read it in full yet? No, I refused. I refuse. I've tried before <laughs> to read these reports and there are so many reasons not to read them. <laughs> it is a bummer. They never, there are no jokes. There's no okay. like. Yeah, no bits. Hey guys. Not like it's your okay. book where you're like, we're fucked, animal fact. Here's a funny fact about uh, yeah. how, uh, you know, a collection of ferrets is called a business. Mm, yeah, I mean, cute. they should work that in. They should at least have cute photos. Sea level of, rises, you know, yeah. uh, approximately 1.5 metres by 2040. Yeah. <laughs> a pig's orgasm can last for 30 minutes. You know, just, just work them in there, make people feel better about have the state of the natural world that we're destroying. Have you spoken to the IPCC about this? Because I think there's something there. Yeah, I'll write them an email. The report dropped on Monday. It is the final instalment of the sixth assessment report process, which has been going on AR6? for about seven years. For the for those in the know, that's what we call it. AR six. Cool. You're cool. <laughs> this is the last IPCC report until 2030. The next one is not going to be released for another seven years. Really? Meaning, yes. I don't know what the fuck they're oh, sitting on their hands. They just, but... <laughs> what are they doing? Good luck, everyone. I guess maybe they they're, realize maybe they just release did, and they're all going to live on a secret planet somewhere. Like they're going to live in a bunker or something. They're like. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna go for a little while. See you in 2030. See how you went. <laughs> Bloody you, Ed. 
So, yeah, that means this is going to be the last one being the released in this period of time in which we can technically still, in theory, limit global heating to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. The report tells us, it basically sums up the, the main reports of the past uh, six reports the IPCC mm. released. So there, there weren't sort of, I guess, groundbreaking new findings here. It's just mm. collating and synthesizing all the information from various reports. That's why they call it the synthesis report. Indeed. So we know the world is 1.1 degrees warmer than the pre-industrial era due to human-induced climate change, which we're definitely causing by burning fossil fuels and putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Emissions and atmospheric concentration of greenhouse gases are now at record highs. We did it, guys. We did it. We are not currently, as a species, on track to limit heating to 1.5 degrees or even 2 degrees, apparently. Mm. We know how bad 2 degrees is. Apparently we're not even track to sort that out. And unless we change things very quickly, drastically, we are likely to hit 1.5 degrees uh, warming before the end of this decade or in the early 2030s. Yeah, which is, I mean, uh, probably everyone listening knows this, but, like, those numbers were agreed a long time ago by the UN as, like, 1.5 degrees is that's where things start to get quite bad. If we can limit it to 1.5, like, we may be okay, or at least well below 2 degrees and every, like, uh, what's the call? What's the word? Just every bit beyond that is kind of exponentially worse. And 1.5 degrees yep. or well below two degrees is what we talk about when we say our obligations under the Paris Agreement. Like one yes. of the biggest, you know, the, the key principle of that is that we have a responsibility to keep warming below those temperature goals. Just for folks who may not know. Right. No, thank you. Greenhouse gas emissions from existing fossil fuel infrastructure, according to the report, is more than enough to push the world beyond 1.5 degrees of global heating. So all the stuff we've got now wow. set up We're is actually enough target. to push us past. That's awesome. Yeah. So I don't know, like I'm not a scientist or an expert mm. or anything, but I guess that would sort of imply that if you were to build new fossil fuel infrastructure, mm. then we're definitely going to be pushed past mm. that. I don't know. I, I'm not an expert. I don't know. I don't know about yeah, this. Yeah, no, I don't know. Maybe we leave it to the scientists or for the fossil fuel corporations. Yes, they're our friends. The synthesis report calls for deep, rapid, and sustained reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. Of course, deep, it does. Bloody sustained. IPC. Nice. Yada, yada. <laughs> These fucking nerds. <laughs> we'll get into the implications of this report and how it played out in Australian politics this week. But I suppose, Emerald, like, yeah, what's the impact of these kind of reports anymore? Do they make us feel any more terrified? Can they make us more angry? Can they change the conversation? Or, I don't know, we reached peak IPCC report. Mm, I would say that I think anyone who's not kind of like a, a real, you know, involved in a political movement, in a political movement for which stopping catastrophic climate change is a primary goal, anyone who's not like one of those people probably mm. wouldn't have paid that much attention to this report this week, don't you think? Like I think they're like another report. Didn't we have one of these? Didn't they already say this? Like, I don't know. It doesn't really mean anything to to them. Whereas like, yeah, like I know that it was probably a pretty depressing week for those of us who are paying attention to this shit. Yeah. I'd be inclined to agree, although it was interesting how the report played out in, in when it landed in the middle of this massive climate debate yeah. we're having in Australian politics. True. And I think – it's, it was a, another inconvenience and another, mm. um, you know, weapon in the arsenal of those building the case oh. to say that Labor go- Labor's yeah. proposed safeguard mechanism and not is, it does not go far enough and is bullshit and we have this the peak scientific opinion on this matter making it extremely clear that that is the case. So, mm. I mean, again, Rachel Withers, our good friend, wrote a, a piece this week called Labor versus the Science. And, I mean, that mm. really is where the fight is lining up and I think that that's – Again, if we want to build momentum around that, that's that's probably a good thing. But anyway. Yeah, I swear I did notice a slight shift this And it's kind of hard to say whether the IPCC report emboldened, you know, experts and people outside the Greens basically to come out and be like, look, the Greens should uh, block the safeguard mechanism mm. uh, if it doesn't, if it still allows new colon cast because this shows we just like they can't, we, we can't do this. And I, I think there has been a little shift towards that this week, but I don't know if that's just because the debate is imminent. Yeah. Well, that's what's playing out at the moment. Um, we don't, at the time of recording, we haven't got any new update about exactly where things are going. My understanding is that all this is going to be pushed into next week yeah. because the Greens particularly are waiting for the New South Wales state election and mm. negotiations are sincerely ongoing. Mm. We've talked about the safeguard mechanism at length before, but just remind us, Emerald, is it good or bad? Is it, It's bad? Is that it's right? It's coalition policy from <laughs> a long time ago. 
It's coalition policy that Labor ran on saying, hey, we're going to actually make this work. It's going to reduce carbon pollution from the 215 biggest emitters, unlimited carbon offsets, allows for new coal and gas infrastructure, does not count the emissions that you get once we export our fossil fuels to other countries, only focus on scope one. It's very dodgy and bullshit. They literally won't tell us if it will make emissions go down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They literally won't tell us. We gotta set it in the Senate, the Greens and the Coalition pressured Labor to release their modelling on how this is gonna fucking work. Mm. And Labor said, no, we're not gonna do that because it wouldn't be in the public interest because it would expose like, yeah. market sensitivities when it comes to the carbon uh, market. So we don't even know no. how the fuck this is gonna work. I have the modelling, it's really good. It goes to another school. Yes, it lives in Canada. You can't, <laughs> you can't meet, you can't no meet it, but it's really good. And we're actually hanging out and reducing emissions this weekend. So. Of course, as we've discussed before, extraordinary bullshit being uh, flung out left, right and centre, particularly from the Labor Party. They're, they're cranking out the old 2009 CPRS bullshit. A, an incredible intervention from Murray Watt, the Labor senator, in which the Labor, the Gillard government does not exist. The truth is that Australia is starting way behind where we should, largely as a result of the Greens voting with the Liberals and Nationals against the CPRS in 2009. And I'd be pretty embarrassed about that too. Okay, they've completely wiped the Gillard government and the uh, clean energy package and what happened between 2010 and 2013 completely from their minds. That didn't happen and we didn't introduce stronger climate action in the wake of the CPRS being voted down that actually reduced emissions. It's bananas. What do you think about the take, though? I saw, I don't know if Will listens, Will Kelly, I saw Will tweeting like, this is, it's misogynistic to ignore the deal that the Greens did with the Gillard government because Gillard was Australia's first female PM and you're like erasing her. And I was kind of like, I don't know. No, is that I, not a stretch? I, I just think there are so many other. I think that's toxic woke identity <laughs> politics. <laughs> I thought it was, I was like, interesting take to test, but there are yes. so many other reasons that like, Greens can and should vote against safeguard mechanism. These laws are shit. They should be improved. And like, the Greens did the right thing by voting against the CPRS in 2009. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, so Greens are calling for no new coal and gas. Labor says that's irresponsible and ridiculous. We can't possibly do that. Interestingly, new research from the Parliamentary Library commissioned by the Greens this week showed that existing coal mines would meet energy demands between now and 2040. Okay, so this this notion that, oh, we can't just turn off fossil fuels overnight, which, of course, nobody's calling for. No one the idea that we need for. new coal and gas projects to meet our energy demands is bullshit. Yeah. We have enough with existing infrastructure to cover our energy demands until mm-hmm. 2040. So, And if we're not getting out of fossil fuels by 2040, then we're truly fucked. So um, interesting little intervention there. But the pressure has been, ra- been ramping up on the Greens to support the safeguard mechanism. Uh, forget any of your objections. Forget any of your role of negotiating to actually make this better. Just make sure, just tell us. Tell us in the media, including the mm. fucking ABC, in all the interviews that I Fuck saw, just ABC. absolutely falling into line on the on Labor. Tell us, assure us right now that you're definitely going to vote for this, thereby completely undermining your negotiating position, please. Can yeah. you do that for us, Greens? I fucking hate the ABC. They're the worst. They really are. Well, you know, people in their comedy section, I think, are really great and doing right. fantastic work. And I think that they, they, mm. you know, they, I look forward to future projects that they're <laughs> going to commission. But um, yeah, journalism, <laughs> what a fucking. <laughs> Bunch of fucking nerds. It was just like, you know, Michael Rowland is interviewing um, Sarah Hansen Young and he says there is no world, there is no possibility in which the Greens would possibly vote against this legislation, right? Did he say that? I didn't. He literally said that. He literally said that. Um, Greg Jennett is interviewing Jenny McAllister, uh, talking about Bob Brown and sort of saying, oh, gosh, I mean, he's been here before, hasn't he? And Jenny McAllister says, yes, he certainly has. And we'll oh see how this goes. God. It's just bleak. Yeah. But I suppose the interesting part of this week was the pressure coming from within the broader Greens environmental movement. And we had the Australian Conservation Foundation CEO, Kelly O'Shaughnessy, say this in response to the IPCC report. This report sends a clear and urgent message to the Australian Parliament. Strengthen and pass the safeguard mechanism. Then find a way to stop funding and approving new coal and gas projects in this term. Then find. Okay. Yeah, do it later. Just do it after. 
The Albanese government should accept reasonable amendments proposed to strengthen the safeguard mechanism so it becomes an effective tool for cutting emissions. ACF would like to see amendments that prioritise direct on-site emissions reduction, limit the use of offsets, and place additional requirements on new coal and gas projects to make sure they do not blow the carbon budget. Wait, so we do want new coal and gas projects? Place additional requirements on new coal and gas projects to make sure... They do not blow the carbon budget. This so, is the Australian Conservation Foundation. Are they the aware of the IPCC report? Like, I guess, yes. So on new coal and gas projects to make sure they don't blow the cup. So have new coal and gas projects, but which, just ones that don't emit carbon. Yeah, which have been carbon. fundamentally like the point of the report and the accompanying message from UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez says no new coal or gas. No new coal we gas. absolutely cannot have any new coal or gas to, or we will blow the carbon budget. But no, no, go ahead, ACF. You're doing such a great job. Go off. The safeguard mechanism is a start, not an end to climate policy in Australia. It covers just 28% of Australia's domestic emissions, but the volume of emissions, it's a floor, not a ceiling. See? <laughs> it's a start? We're fucking, do you know when we needed to start? Like, do you know how <laughs> close we are to fucking extinction? <laughs> See, then, but then there's also this line. There is absolutely no place for new or extended coal mines or gas projects in the third decade of the 21st century. Okay. So it, co- it contradicts itself within its own statement. No. Is the third decade, do they We're mean? We're in the third decade oh, no, we now. Are. This We're is in the, the 2020s. Yes. What that, the that makes fuck? No, I didn't even clock that when I was reading it. Isn't that insane? He's good. How embarrassing. So limits on new coal and gas projects, but there's no room for new coal and gas. Honestly, what? humiliating. Like, yeah. Do people wow. reread this stuff? Any true assessment of the climate impacts of new coal and gas projects through our national environmental law, for example, would show these proposals do not stack up environmentally. Uh, no matter where in the world our coal and gas is burned, it exacerbates climate change, so we must end the unfettered approval and export of Australian coal and gas in the world. We've got a decade. Okay. So, again, it sort of goes on to this, these more radical position or you know positions that the greens have adopted that of course is being dismissed as crazy and irresponsible by the labor government no, but, but all framed in this context of you know just pass the bill but then they don't say we must end the approval and export of australian coal and gas they say we must end the unfettered approval and oh export. we've got to fetter it we've yeah. got to fetter it yeah guys we got to look at this and then continue it and then yes. maybe stop it unless i mean that reads to me sort of like hey we should have a climate trigger once again another thing this labor government has fucking ruled out but, of course, Labor ran with this as this is apparently an endorsement of the safeguard mechanism. So they're saying, okay, the Australian Conservation Foundation is now saying endorse, endorse and pass the safeguard mechanism, ignoring any of the other critiques of their, their general position. Former Greens leader Bob Brown read this as the ACF uh, being a sellout and undermining the Greens' negotiating position, and he tore up his life membership of the Australian mm. Conservation Foundation in protest. That's kind of based. It, it's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. What do you make of all this mess? Well, I like. What do you mean? I mean, I think that, yeah, the ACF are fucking sellouts and they kind of have been for some time and do they have any purpose other than fundraising? Who can say? I, I mean, I did think it was, I, I thought it was spicy of Nick McKim to literally like tweet at them. Yes. What did he say? He, he said the Australian Conservation Foundation is urging the Greens to decrease our climate ambition rather than pressuring Labor to increase theirs. This mm. is what organisational capture looks like, absolute moral bankruptcy. That's pretty spicy. <laughs> like, to, He's yeah. a spicy. Yeah. Pretty spicy, to which the Australian Conservation Foundation replied on Twitter. So it's all just playing out of the old, the old it, tweets Amazing, now. like... Just, Nick, your yeah. colleague Sarah Hansen got ACF's position on the safeguard mechanism right on ABC TV this morning. ACF is calling on government, Greens and crossbenchers to strengthen the bill, pass it, then keep going with the task of getting coal and gas out of the system. To which Piers Mitchum, previous Greens candidate and serious danger guest, replied, this reads very much like ACF is asking the Greens to decouple their demand to end new coal and gas from the passing of the safeguard mechanism. If that's right, then yes, ACF is absolutely calling on them to decrease their climate ambition, which I think mm. is pretty fucking spot on, okay? This, I mean, it is really substantive. This debate is exposing the fact that the Labor, this Labor government is refusing to, in any way, countenance the idea of ending fossil fuels or putting a moratorium on new fossil fuel projects. Yeah. Why, why, if we vote for their safeguard mechanism, are they suddenly going to say, you know what, Greens? And the environment movement and science, you're right. Maybe we should stop these new fossil fuel projects that we absolutely want to open. What are you talking yeah. about? 
Yeah, I do think it's it is remarkable that like these environmental NGOs whose stated purpose is to protect the environment and the number yes. one threat to the environment right now is climate change, and they would be ab- advocating for yeah for a position that is inconsistent with climate science. I guess because they're like, well, we need to stay on side with the government. Yeah. Right? Like how fucking sad. The whole point of having NGOs is to provide fearless advice that you are not, you don't have to worry about internal machinations of the Labor Party for fuck's sake. Mm. You should absolutely be pressuring the Labor Party and the Labor government and calling out their bullshit and joining the Greens call to do what the science so overwhelmingly yeah. clearly says, which is we well, cannot have new coal and gas projects, which and this apparently is, you mean, agree with. Without kind of going on to too much of a tangent about like how we relate to NGOs as a party, I do think that, yeah, it's, it's true that Labor has managed to completely whip the vast majority of NGOs, particularly working in the progressive space, for mm. years. And like that's not by sucking up to them and doing everything that they say. They treat them like shit, like yeah. treat them mean, keep them keen, and like <laughs> they will have a go at them if they don't do absolutely everything to back Labor right into power, whereas the Greens will be like court them and listen to them and do everything they say and give them credit. Yeah, And it's like similarly to the way that we treat the media, actually maybe, yeah, sometimes we do need to come out and be like, no, fuck you. Fuck you. Your position is wrong and that is fucked up and you should be advocating for what you say you advocate for, um, just like Labor would do. If we want to act like a, pa- a party that has real power, then, yeah, I think maybe that is sometimes necessary. Because, I mean, the classic exposure of how hollow all this stuff is, is Labor and the coalition does this too, citing civil society institutions when they fully endorse your policy and when they release mm. a report or critique your policy, yeah, we're going to do what we're going to do. Like only yeah. using your legitimacy to back your political agenda when it suits you. If, oh, yeah. It's not like if the ACF said, came out with some different position, Labor Party would say, okay, well, yeah, we're going to change everything about our position yeah. to, to please the ACF. No, they're just yes. using you. To, as, yes. as cheerleaders for doing exactly what exactly. they want to do anyway. Exactly. Sad. Now, apparently the same thing happened with the Climate Council, and I'm not, I'm not totally sold on this one, but the Labor Party is certainly citing, hey, the Climate Council is, um, <laughs> is endorsing our position, which I don't remember them doing when the Climate Council was calling for 75% reductions in emissions by 2030. Yeah. It's weird how that... The Council's been very clear that we need no nuclear oil gas and, in fact, need to phase it out by, like, 2030. Yes. Or 2035-ish. Net zero by 2035, gas. I think, yes. But apparently yeah, yeah. we didn't listen to them then. But now they're saying, you know, just get this bill done, then they're awesome. But the Climate Council on Twitter said, the safeguard me- mechanism reforms need to be improved to ensure they prioritise genuine emissions reduction and don't leave the door open for new coal and gas. As debate continues in the parliament today, there is real chance to make these reforms stronger to drive down harmful pollution. So don't leave the door open for new coal and gas. They are running well, a petition. Seems- calling for a safeguard mechanism that would close the door on new fossil fuel projects that would blow the carbon budget for the safeguard mechanism. So, again, is that little sort of get out of jail thing? Is it the, oh, the door on, well, yeah, it's like, it's almost like the grammatical difference between that or which. Right. By putting that, they kind of Fossil fuel projects, that would blow the the carbon budget for the safeguard mechanism. Anyway. And it could be read, though, as new fossil fuel projects would blow the carbon budget, or it could be read as some might. Oh, so the, just let's do the ones that are bad. But, but I think it's mm. important to just, yeah, just underline when an NGO is saying strengthen it and pass it, and when that's your position, pass it, pass it, oh, pass yeah. it. And when you're catastrophizing or at least decrying the decade of climate action and how horrible it would be if this doesn't pass, you are actively hostile towards a negotiating position, which is, of course, premised on the idea that the Greens yeah. might vote against this legislation. Yeah. Again, I come back if to Tim Hollow talking to us. <laughs> Part of negotiating is being able to say, we will vote no to this. We will vote this yes. down if it's not good enough. Because if we don't if we don't make that clear or if that is not a possibility, why would anybody negotiate with us whatsoever? The only exactly. power that we have is the threat to actually sink this legislation and demand something better that actually reflects climate science. And I just, yeah. again, when people get demoralised by this, when the entire media, including our fucking public broadcaster, is falling into line behind this bullshit Labor message, it's important to hold your ground and remind you that you are correct. <laughs> and the Greens really are pushing for, hopefully, and fighting for something like seriously better that actually has a chance of arresting climate breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a rant, not a question. but um, <laughs> Confirmed. Resolved. Uh, well, the last thing I just want to mention is that GetUp released a very interesting poll. There was a poll from the Carbon Market Institute, which is just a completely neutral player in this whole thing. They, mm, they don't care that? how it all works out. They did a poll that the AFR run that apparently found that 
not a single Greens voter was strongly opposed to the safeguard mechanism. According to a survey that undermines Bob Brown's view that the party can risk crashing the reforms on its standoff with Labor. This is just the neutral reporting of the Australian Financial Review, by the way. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so that was bizarre. But there was a GetUp poll paid for by GetUp members shows that people are demanding action from the Albanese government. 80% of Labor's own voters want them to work with the Greens and independents to ensure climate laws require corporations to make genuine cuts to pollution. So hmm. interesting, interesting that Labor's voters might want. Of course, everyone wants climate legislation to pass. We all want climate action. Yeah. The question is the degree to which that action takes, how far we're going to go, and whether we're going to use this opportunity in the wake of the climate election, okay, to actually do something that will actually reduce emissions. And it's so sinister to me. The Labor government is constantly saying, oh, this this will take 205 million carbon tonnes out of the atmosphere. Ignoring the fact that if we open new fossil fuel projects, that will all be overtaken and completely wiped yeah. out. So you might reduce, you know, emissions from from one part of the economy and from from some of these emitters, but new projects will increase the overall um, uh, pollution that we're putting out into the atmosphere for the cooking yeah. planet. Yeah, yeah, but if we send it overseas, it doesn't count. So. Oh man. <laughs> And then the only other thing is that there's talk, at least a bit of reporting in The Guardian, about the compromise that is maybe being hashed out in these negotiations, which looks something like a different way of treating non-fossil fuel industries like cement, aluminium and steel compared to, to coal and gas and fossil fuel projects. How's that work? Well, the, the constant siding of cement, aluminium and steel, which is like their emissions-intensive industries that mm. aren't fossil fuel aren't burning fossil fuels that, that need to that need to be treated in a certain way. So maybe they will have unlimited carbon offsets and you might limit carbon offsets in other sectors of the of the economy. I'm not clear on all the details. I'm sure we'll be able to talk about it more next week. But that seems to be at least where some of the noises are going as to the kind mm. of settlement that we might come to. Okay. Which, yeah. Again, it's hard to evaluate until we know more of the details. But anyway, apparently that's where the conversations are maybe going. Well, I think we'll find out very soon. Probably this time next week, we'll be talking about what happened and how we've either blown up the country and locked us into 10 more years of climate inaction or we won and own the government. And how the Greens majority government of New South Wales is going to fix it all. Mm. <laughs> Only one person is powerful enough, daring enough, brave enough to stop them. Only one person can ensure that turf Nazis must die. She's dangerous. She's all woman. And as long as she's alive, the turf Nazis must die. See the film that is creating a tidal wave of action all over the world. See turf Nazis must die. Tom, why won't you let women speak? Yeah, I don't want to. You don't want to? It's uh, pretty fucked up of you. Uh, How closely have you been following the the transphobe, Nazi rally, etc. shit happening this last week? It has dominated my feed. I think yeah. both based on <laughs> all the people that I follow, but also me yeah. clicking on all the all the well, spicy <laughs> confrontation video. The algorithm has said, "Oh, I see. You want to see yeah. this." piece of shit transphobic touring your country and you want to see these awesome anti-trans uh, trans rights activists rather standing up and giving you a hard time and i said yes i do algorithm more yes, of that I please do. yeah well i mean i don't even think i've clicked on that much because i'm not a big clicker on things <laughs> um, <laughs> all right everyone we get it you're I, really cool when, when i'm busy <laughs> But it still has also dominated my feed. So I think probably just in our circles it's been hard to avoid. I don't know what it's been like for um, ordinary people. But we are, of course, talking about the fact that this absolute piece of shit, Kelly J. Keane Minshall, many names, also known as Posey Parker, so literally I don't even, I'm losing track. Yeah. This is a UK anti-trans activist who has come to Australia to do a like, little speaking tour of the mm. country and has been holding these, quote, unquote, let women speak anti-trans rallies across the country. And it really started making headlines last Saturday when she held one in Melbourne and they were at, outside Victorian Parliament and some neo-Nazis made a very public cameo. It was a double booking. It was a crazy mm, coincidence. So awkward. Who it's known? crazy how that happens. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. Uh, and, of course, like, I mean, there are a lot of 
aspects to this that we want to get into, it was noted immediately that these Nazis were protected by police while counter-protesters to the, to the transphobes, you know, people who were there supporting trans people, were like assaulted by police. Regularly. Uh, really cool. I, I don't know if just really quickly we want to get into what Posey Parker, maybe we'll call her, what she represents and why she was in Australia. Like how do you understand her politics? I don't know anything about her, but I don't really differentiate her from all the various mm. exports from Turf Island, as the UK is known. UK, the yeah. level of anti-trans hate in that country is, I mean, it's, it's obviously across the globe, but there is something particularly rotten and toxic at the heart of uh, British culture. J.K. Yeah. Rowling being a prominent face of this as well, popularising it, but also yeah. um, controversy around the Gender Recognition Act and self-ID laws in the UK. I know it's pretty massive there. Um, she seems particularly dumb, Posey Parker, terrible at speaking and a real arsehole, like not even... Real arsehole. Not even like trying... Like you know, Milo Yiannopoulos, basically, it seems, but just mm. a few years down the track, female and, and focused specifically on trans rights. Yeah, we're not saying that just because we hate her. Like there's that video of her that came out and maybe we can link to the full thing in the show notes because it is such an incredible watch where someone has cut together her like standing in front of this microphone <laughs> just being like, no, come close. This is a shambles, but not in Australian accent, in her British accent, which I'm not This is do. the worst place um, I've ever been. Place. This is the worst place I've ever been. Absolutely disgusting. Why don't you just go home? Um, well, you could just go home. I, I mean, I think I kind of deliberately wouldn't refer to her as a turf because she literally says in the, in that video, and she has said, I think on multiple occasions, I'm not a feminist. Right. I think it's interesting the way that we've started referring to all transphobes as turfs. And I'm not sure that I necessarily right. agree with that turf yeah. standing for trans exclusionary radical feminists. Yep. I think that that's where maybe. I think maybe the reason that leftists kind of lump all transphobes under the TERF banner is because TERFs tend to be the group with like the transphobic group with which we have the most contact because mm. they're most likely to be people who uh, would claim to be part of a progressive movement uh, or have, yeah, overlaps with movements in, with which we're a part. You know, for example, like within the Victorian Greens, people mm. who would say that they're a feminist but they don't include trans people in their feminism. Yep. And, yeah, there is... Like I think there, there is that uh, as with a lot of um, conservatives or, or like movements of hate, there's that spectrum of openly hateful and kind of the, yeah, the, the absolute worst of the worst. But then there's these like shiny front people who don't necessarily go so far as being extremely openly vile towards trans folks um but they do the whole just asking questions thing and we're standing up for women and why yeah. can't we talk this and talk about this and why are you being so mean to me mm. and trying to silence me because we know that what they're doing is deliberately emboldening a movement of people who are actively hateful and i mean at, at points genocidal towards mm. trans people but even the shiny posy parker still actively like harasses trans people on online and you know we'll like dead name them harass them etc so i think that's sort of where she she fits in it you know she she says she wants to let women speak she's also not a feminist she's clearly just a big grifter yeah. who thinks that she can somehow get something out of riding this wave of anti-trans hate and an idiot right like <laughs> yeah the number yeah. Of, just of her posting her own l's and people oh yeah you know of course it's this insane catchphrase of the anti-trans lobby is we can always tell this transphobic <laughs> assertion that trans women are just men in dresses yada 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 yeah, and so and they, they can, can always tell and will obviously regularly mock the appearance of trans women online uh, mm. And we'll also regularly wade into a debate in which they clearly assume that a cisgendered woman is a trans woman and will say, oh, yeah. you've got big hands or what have you. And you're like, that is yeah. that is a cisgendered woman. So your phrase that you could always tell is obviously bullshit and transphobic and toxic regardless. So they yeah. are, you know, regularly their own worst enemies, I think. Yeah, it's so hard not to get into all of the myriad logical inconsistencies with the anti-trans movement down to, you know, categorizing a woman by certain biological features, which a lot of women don't have. Yes. But anyway, back to the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, yeah, a bunch of Nazis showed up to their rally. Famously feminist org uh, movement. The, uh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Let women speak. Famous. <laughs> like a lot of, strangely, yeah, always kind of just a bunch of white young men. Mm. Um, but anyway, let women speak. Uh, these were, as I understand it, like the group that's really, that people would have seen the images of. They're these like young men dressed in black, masked, 
very like open fascists. These are the National Socialist Network, which is led by Tom Sewell, famous neo-Nazi. He well, used hey, to. Well, I'm, I'm a socialist, so surely I agree with everything these guys are about. Yeah, it's funny. Well, that's exactly right. When you think about it, they were socialists. The Nazis, yes. Tom, you ever thought about this? I have. No, I haven't. I haven't thought about anything <laughs> ever, but I agree with that no, phrase. So yes, you agree with it. Yeah. Um, Tom Sewell is. He was like involved. He's been involved in this shit for a very long time. He was initially involved in those kind of very like Islamophobic movements maybe a decade or more ago the United Patriots front, and then he's kind of moved into even more and more just explicitly neo-Nazi stuff and runs the NSN. He's also, you, you might remember him from being charged after a quote-unquote brutal assault on a security guard outside Channel 9 headquarters where he got 18 months, uh, an 18-month community corrections order. Mm. Um, he accidentally kind of, yeah, let the mask slip and was caught on camera beating the shit out of this guy. Mm. So, yeah, famous classic Nazi. So, Tom, why do you think... There were Nazis at the anti-trans rally. <laughs> I can't possibly imagine. Well, we heard a few theories from the Let Women Speak folks. Uh, mm. The Nazis were really Antifa dressed up, <laughs> pretending to be Nazis. Mm. To try always a, a classic, a classic of the classic. genre. It's a false flag fake Antifa, like January sixth. Yep, they were there. They were there to. They were either there, and the Let Women Speak didn't like the fact that they were there, or they were there and mm-hmm. they protected them from the evil trans mm. people. Yeah, so what they were they were Antifa, they were dressed Antifa, up. Antifa, they, they were there to protect, let women speak, and then and then let women from speak. From the violent but transphobes. Also they did, like, from yep. the violent transphobes. Uh, they were yeah. undercover. Yeah, lots of theories out there. Um, but surely the truth can be determined. Yes, and then also they the, the transphobes were saying that actually they had asked Antifa to stop the Nazis coming and they didn't stop them. Big yes. failure on their part. They, the, I mean, the Nazis, uh, their their line is pretty clear. They were like, "Well, we were there to protect the transphobes from the violent communists." Yes. And and in reality, and I, Tom Tanaki, our good friend, friend of the show, has done a video on this, which I found very helpful about why they actually were there. And he points out that pretty much the primary recruitment tactic that the NSN and other Tom Sewell groups have used is these like public stunts, and so clearly. They were there to leverage media coverage to recruit, as Tom says, angry young men yeah. to their Nazi movement. And so, yeah, they dress in a in a particular way and they're very provocative and they deliberately sigiled in order to leverage that press for, for promotion. So it, they're there to do that, but they're also there because they support the rally. Yes, like, they absolutely agree. They're there because agree they agree. With this ideological frame and are totally capitalising off a culture war around trans people, around drag queens, mm-hmm. around the queer community mm-hmm. generally, you know, running parallel to this is this Christian Lives Matter b- bullshit and insanity that's playing out, this grooming narrative that anyone yeah. who isn't uh, straight is there to uh, corrupt and fuck your children. Um, so, yeah. yes, there's absolutely, uh, and, you know, again, that was a a big um, theme within the actual Nazis in the 1930s, this social mm. purity, um, social conservatism, and anything outside the accepted nuclear heteronormative family was completely unacceptable. And as we know, queer people were absolutely sent into the camps alongside Jews and trade unionists and communists. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they've got a, Which got is a bad not- record. I'll, I'll say yeah. it. The Nazis have a bad record it. when it comes to the rights of minority groups. It's so brave of you to send such a strong message. Well, I do what I can. But, you know, yeah, obviously not a good look for these transphobes, not a good look for people. Like they do deliberately, like they very much try to cover the underlying hatred of their message with this idea that, yeah, they're feminists or they just want to let women speak or whatever it is, and this doesn't help them. And whether or not you invited them, they showed up because they agree with you. And, like, I think it's true that, I mean, yeah, there will be people who might show up to a rally that, uh, that I agree with occasionally that I disagree with, like, I, or I'm thinking of, you know, for example, the anti-vax movement within the Greens, probably decreasingly so post-COVID, but mm. that would be something that you come across. But instead of, yeah, like trying to blame someone else or, so, someone else or say that they were sent there by your political enemies or whatever, I think the appropriate response to that is to examine why <laughs> your movement is attracting these people and what you can do about it. Yes. Because um, <laughs> clearly something's – and I, I, I also think that it's interesting that these movements a lot of the time would be the very first to 
use a small group of people or even like one or two people who show up to their rallies as proof that they do represent those people. Like, you know, like racist um, white supremacist rallies where they've got one brown person in support and they're like, well, see, we're not racist because <laughs> we've got this brown guy here. Yeah. Or, yeah, you know, men's rights activists who are, or I think even the the transphobe movement, they have like one trans woman who's a conservative trans woman who comes out in support and they're like, see, look, and they shove her out the front. They're like, look, we also represent the, the trans people. Yes. So, you know, which is it, friends? Identity politics, but for Nazis. I love it. Well, like, and like. that's like, again, I mean, I will put it in the show notes. I encourage everyone to watch Tom's Tom's video, but it's Tom Tanaki, not Tom Ballard. Never no. watch any of Tom Ballard's videos unless I'm in them. Obviously. But he talks about, yeah, how this movement is like necessarily obsessed with identity politics. Yes. In an interesting way. Yeah. So the response, the fallout from from Saturday has kind of continued throughout the week, I think, like there have been kind of, a, you know, progressive waves of movement, especially because there was that rally on Saturday and then this fucking Posey Parker piece of shit has just been making her way across the country. <laughs> the tour and- continues with unstoppable <laughs> momentum. <laughs> yeah, well, heartwarmingly being met with like increasingly <laughs> strong waves of resistance and people saying, fuck off. Piss off. We don't, don't welcome you. You're here. bad. You're awful. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, My impression of the very initial response was this thing, particularly, you know, the politicians do, where they're like, we just need to send a strong message that the Nazis are not welcome here. Mm. And a lot of the time it's like accompanied by them being like, I can't believe I even have to say this, but Nazis are not welcome. And people are like, yes, thank you. (laughs) I, but I, I don't, I don't know. What do you like? I didn't really know what it is that icks me about that, I guess, because I'm just like, well, fucking yeah. Like, but what are you doing about it? Yeah. Is that your response too? Well, or do you think yeah, that it's there's necessary? always people saying, oh, someone needs to make a statement on stuff. And then I'm also just not mm, that invested in, the, in the abilities yeah, of, of stuff to be announced. I mean, it is, you know, I think it was appropriate for Dan Andrews, the Premier of the state, to well, say yes, something about the fact that true. there were people doing Nazi salutes, uh, holding signs saying, what does it protect from pedos or pedo? Something like that. Just horrific trash. You know, that is on the steps of parliament, you know, you you want to make sure that everyone is extremely clear that this is no good. Mm. But, yes, you're totally right. Being anti-Nazi is extremely easy and obvious. When it gets into anything like what's happening in the UK recently in which Gary Lineker, a very famous footballer, pointed out the similarities, the echoes of Nazi ideology in the Tory government's new refugee policy uh, Mm. and dehumanising, demeaning, desperate, vulnerable people fleeing persecution coming to their country, well, this is unacceptable. How dare you? You can never make this kind of parallel whatsoever. Um, that's, of course, when things get a little bit tricky. When you're actually directing some criticism at the people in power at the moment, then that's uh, that's yes. when people get way less brave, I would say. Yeah, that's right. Like, I mean, I think there is something in it that's like fails to acknowledge how widespread the underlying ideas driving the fact that these Nazis thought that they could come to the steps of parliament Mm. and make that statement and be protected by police, you know, and face no real retribution. I think, yeah, the failure to address that. But, I mean, that that being said, like the Victorian government, I think, did just conduct some sort of inquiry into the the growing threat of far-right nationalism and, and, you know, fascism Mm. in the state and uh, responding to that. So I I obviously Which the Greens pushed for, I think. Yes, the Greens um, pushed for and and won that inquiry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were pointing out that, you know, for example, like Barry Cassidy retweeted this John Pesuto, uh long, long video statement being like, wow, so powerful. But, yeah, all the, st- the statement is just like Nazis bad. Well, also the factor there is John Pesuto is a leader of the Victorian Liberals and Maury Deming is a Liberal MP who yeah. attended the rally. Well, not and was then No, not anymore, and was kicked out of the party. So, again, you sort of have this, like, okay, there is actually a question here as to whether you're going to sideline this particular person Mm, and kick them out, which he did do. So he gets a little bit more credit from that. But, yeah, (laughs) again, as you say, kick out people who go to rallies attended by Nazis, that's that's entry-level shit. Was it then, I think, on Monday that Dan Andrews posted that tweet, which was a video of them raising the trans flag outside the government offices and right. and his tweet said there's a new flag flying outside the offices of the Victorian government because we'll always respect you and we'll always have your back and like for some reason though I kind of thought that was kind of cool no, like I actually totally. I'm not yeah you know how hard it is for me to uh <laughs> show approval so this is very difficult I mean to show approval of something that a Labor government is doing but I did think 
that I was like, yeah, it's kind of sick. I wouldn't have expected them to do that. Man, the, I mean, the Andrews Labor government, you have to say, yes, certainly on queer rights. I mean, they, they backed in safe schools from memory, set up the Victorian Pride Centre, where my friend Todd works at, which is amazing, in St Kilda, have dedicated money and resources and have taken on the culture war when it comes to, to this stuff. And, and I think that is mm. something really admirable in Dan Andrews that he totally deserves credit for. Yeah. Um, in a way yeah. that, yeah, it seems that the ALP hasn't done. Like I wasn't, I mean, it's hard to follow everything that has happened in Parliament unless you're just like sitting on the Guardian Live blog all day, every day. Mm. So forgive me if I'm wrong, but did the, you know, federal Labor government really do anything significant this week to affirm its support for trans people following this like nationwide hateful tour that sparked pretty significant protests and fallout? Uh, Anthony Albanese called for civility <laughs> and said right. that Nazis are bad. I think he did say something about Nazis bad and said that, that was But wasn't that just in response to a question? Like didn't, you know, a reporter's asked him, what do you reckon about the Nazis? And, and he gave this really wet response that was like everyone – should be treated with respect. And it I don't think it even specifically said trans people deserve respect. Like I don't think it even said the word trans, you know? Well, we know. I mean, the thing about Andrew's uh, position is, of course, he's sitting on a massive majority. He's just at the start of a four-year term. He has plenty of capital to burn. This is not an issue. During the election campaign, Anthony Albanese equivocated on trans rights, answered that bullshit Joe Hildebrand Daily Telegraph article He's asked, can men have babies? And he said, no, he's anti-woke, fuck you. And there was a, de- a question during debate, I think we've talked about this before, in which he was asked, you know, define mm. an adult woman. I believe he said adult human female, which is the catch cry yeah, which of is these what fucking is printed on yeah. the clothes of this this activist, Posey right. Parker. She there, was, was, yeah. there was Bill Shorten changing the form uh, in hospitals about gender identity uh, or what have you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, the federal labor government, we do not say is a active, proactive um, ally or is prepared to centre this, even though we know this is the forefront of culture wars at the moment for, for, for whatever mm. horrific, toxic yeah. reason. It is trans people who are in the sights of these fucking monsters and you would hope yeah. that a yeah. progressive government would do something about that. Purely, yeah, and worth noting, like probably not because they even actually care about trans people that much. It's because they recognise that this is something that they can pull people in on um, and recruit them for their like shitty causes. So there's there's the statements, there's like the clear, you know, like we support you, Nazis not welcome statements, and then there are the reform proposals. So like on Monday, Victoria confirmed that it would ban the Nazi salute. Okay. Do you have thoughts on this, Tom? Well, we already know, so there are already laws banning the display of Nazi symbols in in Victoria, mm-hmm. and you're saying Tassie's got them as well? I'm seeing on the notes here. Yeah, a Tassie I think is, they were debating that actually this week. Like they're yep. about to do it, yeah. So I have some issues and, uh, look, you know, you want to get be careful here because you want to see like you're concerning about the welfare of Nazis um, and it's certainly on my lower list of priorities. But I suppose it is easy to see a pretty draw line without getting too slippery slopey vibe mm. when governments start banning certain symbols, certain ideologies, certain thoughts. You know, we just know from history the kind of mm. backlash that can have on the left and policies that are deemed by those in power to be as radical and as terrible as the Nazis, which we might get to in a moment, um, what do you know? Apparently that's that's completely unacceptable too. Yeah. And I, there's probably some data on what banning Nazi symbols does to their movements, et cetera, mm. et cetera. But, I mean, there are underlying causes that draws people to Nazism and ideology. And I was saying it to a friend this week, the, the problem isn't actually the salute. Seeing the salute is awful and terrible and, you know, particularly for people with links to a survivors of the, the horrors and the crimes of the Nazi regime, mm. obviously seeing a salute would make you feel horrific. But the yeah. salute represents a commitment to an ideology of violence and fascism and mm. the, the suppression of democracy and asking why young men in particular are attracted to that kind of stuff and kind of address those material conditions. That's got to be the main game. Well, the answer yeah. might not always be more more bans and more cops. More laws. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like, can can more laws save this? Like, obviously, no, I don't think we should be displaying the swastika anywhere or Sig Heiling or whatever. But I'm just skeptical and I'm skeptical about the state's application of, of these laws. So, yes, you're right. So Tasmania 
on Tasmania apparently was coincidentally debating those laws about the display of hate symbols this week and they said that they would add the Nazi salute to that and Queensland government has also confirmed that they're going to bundle in their banning of Nazi symbols with their hate hate crime legislation that is going to come to parliament next week. Interesting. I think what I particularly, before all this came up, even when the Queensland government had confirmed that they're banning Nazi tattoos, that was something that I was just like, it just seems, I mean, it seems incredibly impractical. It seems to affect like a tiny minority of people and probably likely not, like it's probably going to scoop up people that are not who we need to be targeting. I'm like, how do you enforce this? I, I liked my my friend's take that was like, you know, this is just a push by big laser, big laser removal. <laughs> but no, yeah, Queensland, New South Wales, Tasmania, WA are banning the tattoos. I think that there are, yeah, the past of this are like, how do you apply and, and enforce these laws? Which particularly when it comes to salute, it's like, what? What uh, what degree of, you know, arm from body, what defines it? Like, obviously, yeah, there's some common sense application, but that's the point. No, that no, I was just in a production to... of Cabaret. I was just doing yeah, yeah. spring time in, in, in producers. Don't take me away. And that's what the government, I think, has, the Queensland government has said, oh, it'll depend on the circumstances. But this is the problem when you necessarily build discretion into the laws. Mm. They ultimately, almost all of the time, are more are more heavily applied to marginalised groups. Like that's just, and and the fact that the Queensland government, which is what I've been following most closely, obviously, they haven't even said what symbols they're going to ban yet. So I think, yeah, they're going to prescribe by regulation. They're not going to be debated by parliament. Not the Queensland parliament is really real or allows for proper debate anyway. But yeah, they're just going to decide what list. And I wouldn't be surprised if they include the hammer and sickle in that because it's Queensland fucking labor. This is, this is Joe Hildebrand's take. We should say. This is Joe. Exactly. He sort of said they they should, if you're going to ban the Nazi symbol, you may as well ban the hammer and sickle as well because. Anyone who's a communist now or is anti-capitalist at the moment is just as bad as the people who killed six million people in concentration camps. They're the same. I'm in the sensible centre. It's every fucking article I fucking write. I'm smart. He's so good at his little picture. He's like... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, People will need to see the video for that one. Yes. Yeah, so they're like more laws and then they're like, also more cops yes. because we need the cops to stop the Nazis and also there are Nazis in the cops. And yes. The cops are kind of nice. <laughs> I anyway, just like, imagine being cops. arrested for having a, a swastika tattoo by someone who has a swastika tattoo but yeah. just happens to wear yeah. a cop uniform. <laughs> yeah, worth noting that like it, just in this past week, the cops' involvement in this has been ushering the Nazis, the yes. NSN, in to Sig Heil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament, also being filmed kneeing counter-protesters in the back of the head yep. and tackling Senator Lydia Thorpe to the ground in Canberra for simply trying to tell Posey Parker and her group of hateful fucks mm. that they're not welcome here. And yep. she was literally thrown to the ground by this officer, which I understand is now being investigated. It's really, like, pretty horrific footage. Mm. And yet, yeah, there will still be people who are like, we need more funding for the police response to the threat of the far right. What? But. <laughs> That's, that ain't it, bro. They are the far right. Mm. <sighs> so what then, what can we do, I guess, is the question. How do we stop the Nazis, the transphobes? What's the correct response to this if it's not more laws, more cops? Mm. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess another role in terms of the federal government could have played here, and there was a debate about re, you know revoking her visa, not giving this lady a visa to actually come here and and speak. And this is a debate that's come up on a number of times mm. with other controversial far right figures. We did did we reject Milo's? I know Milo did come here at one point, but I there was someone remember. else who was rejected um, at some point because of the kind of shit that he said. So that is sort of a tool to immigration ministers. There's pressure on New Zealand now to try and revoke the, the visa to come and speak. But isn't there a similar argument I know, about like yeah. weaponizing our border protection system? Yes. Like and kind of enforcing the legitimacy of that system. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's, yeah. And, and you could easily see that being applied to a Palestinian activist and being rejected. Yes. Uh, so through. true. So, I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, I and this has changed a lot for me in, in recent years. My my move towards sort of mm. not free speech absolutism, but certainly much more sympathetic approach to Comedians. the idea that you know freedom <laughs> of speech should be broadly protected. Restricting that should be in, in extraordinary circumstances. You know, the 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 American example of 
the Ku Klux Klan, the ACLU defending the right of the Ku Klux Klan to say, say what they believe and to express their thoughts, but, you know, relying on civil society and other political action to reduce their power as opposed to directly, uh, you know, mm. banning them or what have you. I guess that's probably where yeah. I'm more leaning these days. Yeah, that's right. And that's sort of what, like, you know, Tom Tanaki has been saying a lot this week is like what we need to be doing is showing up to these protests and building a movement that can actually take on Nazis, I mean, physically, but, yeah, socially. Mm. Uh, things like, you know, equipping a, a left movement to respond to these protests, doxing Nazis so that it becomes clear that if you are a fascist, you will lose your job and social networks yeah. and, you know, your life will be ruined because mm. you're a fucking piece of shit, so don't do it. It's not worth it. Mm. I, I do think it's interesting that, like, the response from the Greens and I would say the, you know, the left is to focus on reaffirming support for trans rights while the response from the right is to focus on kind of cracking down on Nazis. And, you know, like it was it was the LNP. I think Peter Dutton has moved this this bill to ban Nazi symbols federally uh. this week. And I think what's interesting about that angle from the LNP and from conservatives is that, as they so often do, it's situating this group of neo-Nazis as like a relic of history and they often, you know, they'll evoke the Holocaust and they'll specifically be like where this is kind of a, a, a leftover from the from World War II and from Hitler's literal mm. like National Socialist movement and that's... It's got and, nothing and, to do with us. Left, no, these Nazis today us, love your refugee policies, current, you piece yeah, of shit. They love you. They, love, they want more yes. of what you stand for and you fought for while you were in fucking mm. power. You, there's a direct line from the that. kind of shit that you did as a centre-right government yeah. and the goals of these neo-Nazis. Yeah, which is why they'll rely on groups like, you know, the Anti-Defamation Commission, um, which a lot of conservative media rely on as well. That's who they go to when there are these, you know, neo-Nazi movements, neo-Nazi kind of incidents that pop up. You hear from Dr. Vera Abramovich, who is a supporter of the Israel, like the apartheid state in Israel yeah. and the kind of the persecution of of Palestinians and they retain ownership of this issue because yeah they have to confine it to this like specific historical era to avoid confronting the underlying issues now and they don't want to talk about trans issues they don't want to affirm support for trans people because they don't support trans people no. and you know even even further to the right of course there's Pauline Hanson moving these like transphobic motions in the senate supported by liberal senator Alex Antic saying we need a commission of inquiry into trans people for some reason like it's a fucking issue that trans people exist because fundamentally yeah they don't think that trans people should exist and that is what this is about for them yeah <laughs> so yes i mean I, I i think the greens response in terms of affirming support for trans people has been pretty remarkable there was you know there have been some pretty incredible speeches janet rice has spoken on this nick mckim gave a really impassioned speech in the senate in particular defending the attacks on his stepson jacob who's mm. a trans man and had been attacked by these transphobes on the internet in like this campaign of harassment and there was yet yeah, penny orman Payne also gave a great speech on trans rights and i think she's spoken before about you know, working with queer kids in her experience as a teacher and I think feels really passionately about it. And that does matter, I think, for, for particularly young trans people to see that from, from our political leaders and people who have a platform. Totally. But it's also important for us to acknowledge that there were some Green members at, at the rally in Melbourne, certainly, that we know of, and yeah. some people trying to make so excuses, trying to differentiate the ideas of the Nazis, certainly, and uh, the worst mm. aspects, I suppose, as they see it, of the, uh, the horrible transphobes, sort of say, but come on, there are other people there who might have some legitimate questions, blah, 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 blah. And it's, yeah, that kind of stuff is becoming untenable. It's just like, look look at where yeah. this movement is going. Look at what, what is happening yeah. to trans people and other people of the queer community who are getting fucking beaten in the streets and completely sidelined. And, you know, there's something really dark and toxic going on here and, and you got to, yeah. uh, whose side are you on, you know? And you want to be part of that? Like, yeah. I mean, that's, I think, uh, Struth Queen on Twitter said, quote, honestly, Pokey pa po <laughs> honestly, Posey Parker's tour down under may be the best thing that's happened for trans rights in Australia. She's exposed the hateful underbelly of turfism and galvanised allies who've largely been silent till now. And I think that's maybe true, that yeah. this really has kind of exposed transphobia for, for what it is and mm. it's made it, much harder for those people who would claim 
that they're just feminists or they're just standing up for free speech to claim that they are aligned with anyone other than, you know, bigots and even Nazis. Yeah. And who wants to be a part of that movement? Totally. And for the trans community and people, family members of, with trans people and friends of trans people, to see that stuff, to see her turn up in Hobart and be shouted down and, like, this is what Australia says mm. when you rock up with your hateful ideology, like, how often do we, how often do we see that? How often do we see large yeah. public expressions of solidarity with the trans community, with our dog shit conservative media and our politicians that will happily you yeah. know, throw trans people under the bus on a regular basis. So I, yeah. I think, yes, as fucking awful and messy as it was and there were Nazis on the streets, but holy shit, <laughs> elephant stickers, uh, treats and love and solidarity to everybody who turned out of those rallies and um, and showed up, showed up for a, for a better... Yeah. A better Australia and a better response to this kind of toxic Yeah, too. actually kind of heartwarming. Yep. I will be resigning the position uh, and enabling a new uh, lead, Liberal leader to be elected. So today I can confirm uh, that I'm retiring from politics. Therefore it pains me to announce that I have no option but to resign from the office of Premier. So today I say farewell to the people of New South Wales, say thank you for your support. When I was 21, at my 21st fancy dress party, uh, I wore a Nazi uniform. Call to action, something cool you can do to make the world better um, on theme. Jackie Turner is a trans activist who is campaigning to establish the Trans Justice Project. It is a national body. It's a trans-led movement that calls on government and politicians to make trans healthcare accessible, invest in trans lives to reduce the impact of poverty, unemployment, homelessness and violence, take real action to address suicide in the trans community and defending our community against the attacks on trans lives. So this is a, a national body that doesn't quite exist to lobby specifically on trans rights mm. stuff that she is setting up. The trans up. lobby. That the transphobes are always yes. saying exists. Yes, the so trans agenda. Well, it's, they've already raised shitloads of money. And I think they had a 50 grand fundraising goal. They've raised $78,000 or something at the time of recording. So they're doing quite well. But if you want to be part of their success and make them help them out uh, even better, I think Jackie Turner is a really, um, really great advocate and there could be some great work that comes out of that. So I'll put the link of that in the show notes if you so wish. That is a lot, but it's also, you know, if you want to pay people to actually run a significant campaign, oh, yeah. that's not a whole lot for, for wages uh, over yeah. a, a few years. So. Totally. If they're going to set up like a full-time, yeah, like a, a serious body that's going to stick around, that's that's totally, yeah. more money is always helpful. Also, uh, Asher Cookson got in touch. She's a patron. Thank you so much. She's a long-time listener, short, shorter time patron, she says. She's the campaign <laughs> manager for the federal Aston by-election. Uh, she's a previous candidate herself. Uh, this is the one that Alan Tudge is stepping down on. It is happening next weekend, which I think I completely kind Wait. of forgot. But um, yeah. this by-election is happening and the Greens are running a candidate. Angelica DiCamillo, an environmental engineer and a young person who grew up in the area. They had a swing to the Greens at the last election, a 3% swing towards the Greens in um, Aston, keen to keep the momentum going by growing our vote more. You know, the chance of the Greens winning in this seat is very small, but everywhere the Greens get out there, have the access to talk to people, talk about what the Greens are about and remind people that they have an option outside of the two dog shit major parties is good news. So mm. that's on April the 1st, that is next Saturday, which will again will be before our next episode. But if you're hearing this now, you're at all around the area of Aston in Melbourne, get in touch. They need volunteers to do door knocking, to do phone banking, to do pre-poll, to hand out volunteers on pre-poll and such. Um, we will put... Angelica's contact details in our show notes, but of course you can always just Google and get in touch and check out Angelica, the candidate page on Facebook, which we'll also link through in the show notes. Good luck, Greeds. Love a by-election. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Please give us a five-star review and let us know if you think that Emerald is the funny one. <laughs> you can also support the show on Patreon for just three bucks a month. The links are all at seriousdangerpod.com. Uh, it helps us keep the show running, pay Mike to do all the things. We literally couldn't do it without you, so please consider doing that if you can. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Serious Danger AU. And we love you, especially our trans comrades and listeners. We fucking love you so much. Mwah. If you're a Nazi listener to this, fuck off. All right? <laughs> Stop listening. Stop listening. Actually. We've told you. We hate you. <laughs> this is a serious danger to Australia.